welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today is a very fascinating episode. I have on the program Arash Kolahi, who is an economist, social theorist, and consultant. And uh, he has over 15 years of experience in economics and financial analysis, consulting, and research. So he sort of, his areas of research are, are economic theory, behavioral economics, as well as human nature, psychology, sociology. So he's really thinking about the entire economic system, the economic structure of society, as well as human beings, what a human is, the way we think, what we want, what society wants, and where those worlds overlap. He's writing a book about this subject, and uh, I got a chance to speak with him and and sort of go over some of the content of the book, and it just turned into a really interesting, heady, philosophical conversation, which is exactly my favorite kind of conversation to have. So where, you know, it's fun to sort of wax philosophical about where humanity is going, where should we be going, you know, all, all of these uh, aspects of human civilization, you know, some of the things I don't know much about, like economics or, or, or politics, but I have maybe some ideas about, uh, and then maybe human psychology, where I feel like I have a little bit of a better grasp, but we got to go back and forth, you know, agreed a lot, disagreed a little bit, and um, and just really had an amazing conversation. And if you're curious to learn more, you can follow Arash on Twitter, at Arash Kolahi, that's A-R-A-S-H-K-O-L-A-H-I. And, of course, be on the lookout for his book coming out in the near future. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this episode now on Human Nature versus Society. doing a talk and uh, we were talking for a little bit and uh, he, he mentioned you and we were talking a lot about uh, you know what he what he does over there and then he, he was talking about you and, and, and a book and uh, tell, tell me about that you're, you're writing a book currently yeah I'm writing a book on uh, the intersection uh, of human nature and society so a little bit of like sociology a little bit of anthropology a little bit of economics and politics and all these Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so cool. my background and training is in economics. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, you know, I have a degree in economics, I have a master's in business. Mm -hmm. um, but my passion has kind of been uh, more behavioral economics mm -hmm. and trying to better understand and have a, or a good understanding of, uh, you know, workplace dynamics. Oh, okay. What type of workplaces are more fulfilling versus like depressing? What type of workplaces are more productive? Right. Uh, and so from there, it kind of just led to uh, psychology. Obviously, behavioral e economics and psychology are very much mm -hmm. intertwined. And from there, uh, human nature, it's right? Because it's all... sort of like the foundation is really human yeah. nature, right? It's all one spectrum leading into the way that we do economics and the way that we form our society. Do, do you have a lot of uh, uh, office experience? I do. Okay. I, do, yeah. I can't relate. I have no idea. The, all I have is like like what I've seen in like office space and movies <laughs> and stuff. I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, do you have uh, so so you're working on the book? It's not complete. Do you have a, a title or a working title? Or I have a working title right now. Um, I'm going off of uh, Human Realized. Uh, human Realized. Right. Okay. Because I believe we haven't yet realized our full potential. Right. Um, and so what I'd like to do is shed light on how to. Mm -hmm. Uh, have societal institutions that kind of really bring out our best. I'm already like tingly. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I don't think we've realized our potential as a species, but then each individual, 
how can we best, I suppose if we get each individual to realize their potential, then uh, we'll be on our way. Uh, so give me, give us like a, a brief synopsis or kind of the, of a thesis statement or something. Sure. Um, I'll start with sort of a basic foundation okay. of um, to kind of like lay the groundworks, right? And then mm-hmm. we can build from there. So I think everything I'll start with is very non-controversial, right? So mm-hmm. humans are a living species. We've derived from a particular evolutionary path. Well, with some of the circles I run in, that is controversial. <laughs> but amongst amongst us, no. amongst I yes. guess more yeah. uh, scientific communities. <laughs> yes, correct. We're we're good to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, our genetics uh, binds us to some limits, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, no amount of training or conditioning will allow us to grow wings or gills. Right. Um, and while uh, some of our genetics gives us arms and legs rather than wings, uh, much of our genetics can make us more or less predisposed to certain characteristics along a scale. For example, some might be more or less predisposed to certain diseases or to stress and anxiety or to certain personality traits or even preferences. But so much of who we are, uh, our self-identity and our social identity is a function of our society. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, a newborn baby plucked from one society and raised in a completely different society will obviously speak the language, partake in the customs and cultural norms, and have preferences and shared traits consistent with the new society. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no question that our societies impact us greatly. Societies and our roles in our societies affect our socialization. They impact our identities and our shared identities. Um, Our societies and our positions in societies can even affect our mental health. Uh, They can affect the level of stress and anxiety we might endure. Um, And societal contours such as authoritarianism or poverty or racism or sexism um, can greatly impact our levels of fulfillment uh, or available options and potentials. So basically, we are a collection of genetic hard limits Uh, some genetic tendencies along a scale Mm -hmm. and various societal influences. Mm -hmm. Our shared genetics or human nature uh, hold many secrets that can help us understand how the dynamics of our society's institutions affect us and help us determine what societal characteristics lead us to feel oppressed versus liberated or feel uh, depressed versus fulfilled or feel alienated versus valued or that limit our potential versus maximize our potentials. In other words, understanding our evolution and our genetic endowment hold the keys to better understanding our societies and how we might move them in better and more fulfilling directions. Mm -hmm. So my research, uh, in my research, I've identified about eight major key findings about human nature that um, are really supported by a very diverse fields, uh, such as evo- uh, the study of evolution, sociobiology, sociology, psychology, and neuroscience. What are these eight? So, um, so we should probably go through them pro- one at a time, okay? Because uh, there's sort of a lot to compact, right? So, mm-hmm. one of the first and let's pro- let's list them off the top, sure. Just to this just to a- go right down and just to get a get a glimpse at what we'll be talking about. And Absolutely, then, yeah. Uh, so number one, uh, humans are a highly social species. Number two, uh, we have, uh, incredible cognitive abilities and consciousness. And by the way, I was very happy to see that you had done 
very recently you've done a podcast on consciousness. Yes. Which will... Yeah. Um, buddy of mine from UCLA. Very cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. because I listened to that and I think it's very much consistent with a lot of my findings. So I think that's going to make that part of sure, it very, yeah. a it lot easier. Back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, third would be the recognition of consciousness in others. Four would be diversity. Five would be uh, safety and security. Six would be creativity and innovation. Seven would be efficiency and environmental stewardship. And eight would be empathy. Okay, okay. So, um, yeah, let's go through these one at a time. And I figure let's just sort of trade opinions on where we think. Because some of these things that you're listing, I I feel like I... I I think society is serving that purpose. And then there are ones that I think are falling short or, and even maybe go so far as to giving us false constructs and m manipulate us into thinking we're receiving something that we're not. So, yeah, let's just go with number one. What do you have? All right. So humans are highly social species. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that should be really obvious. Yeah. Um, and it's not just humans. It's really all social mammals. Um, but our particular evolution uh, has been derived through a highly socialized one. Mm -hmm. So the reason that's an important uh, understanding to start with is because, um, you know, a lot of people will say things like, well, all societies suck. Like, let's just do away with society. Let's just, um, you know, yeah. can't we just all just be these you know, individual atomized creatures um, off doing our own thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't it's work. It's not human nature. It's we would rebuild society in some other way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And that's, you know, that's really backed by even, like, psychologists, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the, the, the study of, like, something like even, you know, solitary confinement. Uh, a lot of psychologists will... Right. It's cruel and unusual punishment because it's, it's, it's torturous in a sense. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, of course, when you find isolated groups of humans, they all exhibit tribalism. I mean, tribalism is certainly innate in mm -hmm. us, right? I right. Mean, and then the, 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 the tricky thing is that as societies grew, we had to sort of, like, there's a limit to how many people you can know personally in a tribe, I don't know what that number is, maybe 200 or 300 people mm -hmm. to the point where it, it, it becomes a different thing. And now, you know, when cities, you know, Babylon and these first cities start popping up, that's mm -hmm. just a total paradigm shift in the way humans exist. Right? Exactly. So what happened there? I definitely have opinions here. What, what you start though, do you think that the way society is structured now enhances or diminishes our ability to, have um, community or these kind of social interactions that you're outlining? Uh, I think it's both. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, um, you know, we have uh, social structures and we have community structures in our societies, you know, whether it's church or, um, you know, different types of community organizations mm -hmm. where people can find connection. Right. right. A club or a, you know, centered around an activity or exactly. an interest. And, exactly. Right. And, and of course, some of that connection, that innate need for connection is commodified. Right. So we have things like Facebook, mm -hmm. um, which really is um, commodifying like our our innate needs to connect with one another. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, it's great because we can connect with more people. But in some ways, you know, there's some elements that are unhealthy. Right. Yeah. I think I'm already on this first one more on the negative side. I think that these aspects, these commodified versions of connections 
that were being offered are largely illusory. Certainly not top to bottom. I mean, some people are connecting in genuine ways, but I think we've substituted something. We, we, we've replaced something genuine with something fraudulent. And I think that definitely some people are finding their chess club and their rock climbing group mm-hmm. and there are these things, and, and that's great. But on the whole, most people, at least most adults of average income, kind of wake up, go to work, come home, go eat dinner, go to sleep, and just kind of live a very isolationist Mm -hmm. life. I 100% agree with that. And I I talk about that um, uh, a good amount in the book, um, Mm -hmm. that a lot of our modern sort of uh, social lives are very much atomized, and we don't really uh, fulfill a large part of that community need. Right. Yeah. I mean, for example, you know, us as adult men, when was the last time you made a, a, an, an adult male friend? Uh, not too often. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, right? It's something I've reflected <laughs> on a lot. Uh, yeah. a- anytime one party tries to initiate that, it's, it's, it's very awkward, I think, for us. And of course, there are movies made about that. I love you, man, and stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, no, I definitely, like, like for me personally, I recall a time in college where I had, it was a very small college, uh, under 2,000 kids, so it it had a tribal feel to it. We kind of all knew each other, and I would play music with these people, and I would do this with these people, and I would just sort of exist, this is, uh, I didn't have a cell phone yet, um, you know, we had the internet, obviously, but I wasn't super active on it, uh, no, no social media whatsoever yet, Facebook came out right as I was graduating uh, college, and nobody even really used it, um, and and I I was much more fulfilled then. I was f- I was jumping around from activity to activity that were nourishing me in a particular way hmm. that created uh, that created a social identity for me that I have been lacking since and mm-hmm. seeking yeah. since. I think you're not alone. Yeah, uh, I think that's pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that's kind of sometimes surprising to people is. Uh, the importance of social esteem. Um, a lot of people think that money is the primary driver. And of course, it is oftentimes a motivation. But we, as humans, as a social species, we have a very deep need to feel uh, social esteem, to feel... Social, what is this word? You that mean? Mean, social esteem, that means like being seen in a positive light by our okay. peers, right? Mm-hmm. So we crave that. We crave to... Uh, be recognized by our peers. We crave to be recognized by our friends, our family, and so on. And that's something that kind of gets lost, right? Which is where you get Instagram culture and exactly. So that know. that's like the unhealthy version of it, exactly. Right? Where you're you're kind of getting um, like this very shallow uh, recognition, right. right? It's not really doesn't really have a lot of depth to it. Doesn't really make you feel this like yeah. sense of community that you were talking about. I don't like being that person. I don't like be- sounding old and angry and bitter, <laughs> um, but it is what I believe. I-, I-, I do believe that it's unhealthy and I do believe it's a backward step for humanity, um, but we can't completely eliminate it. It's too embedded in-, in society, but I don't know. I mean, is it is it possible? Do you think that Gen Z or possibly the, the generation after will just sort of nearly unanimously go, you know what, no, this is this is a relic of the past and this is not how we operate anymore, or is it too late? Is this the way we are for good? Um, I think as we kind of talk through some of the other uh, findings, mm-hmm. um, I think that 
technologies like social media mm-hmm. can serve uh, more like humanity uh, right. rather than just be like solely profit based. Right. And I think m- making some of those changes can potentially make, you know, technology work uh, in sort of unison with humanity rather than against mm-hmm. humanity. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's um, I don't think it's impossible yeah. Uh, but certainly the way that these organizations are structured now, um, they really have one purpose. Profit. Right? Exactly. And, and so it's going to take somebody or some institution or some force valuing something above profit. And I don't know. It's hard because I, I, I'm very confident that there are individual people who value the progress of the human race above profit. Uh, I, I would say that I identify that way myself. Mm-hmm. But once you, uh, you know, have uh, stockholders and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of a thing, what, what, like, you know, once a corporation, once a corporate entity gets large enough, it just sort of streamlines itself into being exclusively profit-driven, or, or at least that's what capitalism has become. Uh, I don't know if like more legislation is the way to go mm-hmm. or what, you know. Yeah, I think as we go through some okay. of these other ones, we might we come, might stumble upon we some might stumble nuggets. upon some nuggets okay. there. Yeah, absolutely. Any more uh, for for number one? I think I, we're both sort of on the side of like a little bit yes, but more no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think we can uh, certainly do a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, I'm a guy who makes a living on YouTube, so <laughs> I can't be 100% uh, off, of, you know, but uh, I guess that's a little bit of a different aspect of it. Okay. So number two is which one? So um, humans have a tremendous abilities, um, cognitive abilities, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, you had recently had a podcast about consciousness, and that's mm-hmm. something I talk a lot about. Um, so I'm not going to go into too much depth. Actually, I thought that podcast was fantastic. Cool. And I would, you I'll know, tell highly, Joel. I'm I would, sure it will be very. <laughs> I would highly right. recommend you know your yeah. listeners maybe check that out if they want more cool. depth. But yeah, I'm just going to episode twenty, I believe, with Joel Froelich on mm-hmm. what is consciousness. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just kind of make some very just basic uh, statements about consciousness, and then we'll build off of okay. that. Okay. Okay. So uh, consciousness gives us the ability to sort of abstract ourselves from our actions, right? So like in a way, we can think in our mind's eye. Um, before we actually do something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can pull information from our memory. Uh, we can assess our present. And we can think about future possibilities or probabilities all in our mind's eye before we actually even do anything. Right. Right. Which is potentially unique to the human species. I don't know necessarily that any other species can do that. Potentially, yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's amazing, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the findings... Um, that I found from both, you know, behavioral economics and psychology is that our exercising of our cognitive abilities and our consciousness, right, to exercise um, really decision-making in a way, right, because that's ultimately what we're talking about. And and thinking cognitively, um, assessing situations and, and thinking of scenarios before we even make a decision, right, that's actually a source of human fulfillment. And psychologists have a word for when that's taken away from us. It's called alienation, mm-hmm. right? A lot of our society is very alienating in, mm-hmm. the, in the sense mm-hmm. that we feel like we don't really matter. Like our voice doesn't really have an impact, right? So right. our own cognitive abilities, right? Our consciousness is not actually being 
utilized to uh, have a say or to make an impact in the decisions that affect our own lives. Right. So there, it's it's two-sided. Like the one side that I think society is great for is that we have access to all of this art and literature and influence and uh, all of these things that are very intellectually stimulating. But then when we ruminate on all of this and we produce opinions and we produce our own art or whatever it may be, we feel that we are then voiceless, that we're mute and we're not heard and Absolutely. we don't influence any we don't influence our surroundings yeah and that's excruciating it is i can say that it is personally yeah and you know again coming from economics myself and behavioral economics Mm -hmm. um i don't think it'll be surprising to you or any of your listeners to tell you that statistically most people are miserable at work Uh, the majority right? right so most people feel voiceless most most people yeah. feel like really their opinions don't matter all that much and unhappy most of the time. Absolutely, <laughs> at least Absolutely. I'm gonna no, do what and, I want. And all the time, statistics yeah. show that. I mean, right. At best, the best statistic is like fifty four percent of people are miserable at work. Right. That's like the best one. It's probably even worse than that because it depends on yeah. kind of how we word it, right? So, in my in my research, right, um, I found that humans have and and we can call it freedom. Right. We could call it the, the need to have a voice, the need to have a say, um, mm-hmm. you know, and if we look at like a slave society, mm-hmm. right, no matter how well oiled a slave society is, no matter how great the socialization is, um, there will always be an incompatibility between the role of a slave and the innate need for freedom to have some self-determination, to have some control over the decisions that affect our lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So. To me, one of the big, you know, findings is that we should have societal institutions that value people's voices, right? That values people's opinions, that actually give people a say in the decisions that affect their lives. Mm -hmm. I like to say people should have a fair say in the decisions that affect their lives. And if we kind of break that down and look at it maybe like mathematically, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, what that really means is that we should have a say proportional to the degree we're affected by a decision, right? So, like, if a decision only affects me, mm-hmm. let's say that I want to paint my bedroom purple, right? right? It doesn't affect anybody else. Then nobody, nobody should have any right to no tell me. No one should have any say, but you. absolutely because That's it right. doesn't affect anybody else, right? But as soon as I want to do something, right? Let's say you and I are neighbors Mm -hmm. and I want to do something in my backyard that's now going to like trash your backyard. Mm -hmm. Well, now you should have a right to to have a say in that, right? Right. Because now I'm affecting you and your family. Yeah. Right. So it just really extrapolates from that. So like if a decision only affects me, I should only Mm -hmm. I should have a say. If it only affects my family, then it should be a decision that my family can make. If it's a decision that affects, um, you know, my neighborhood, it should be a decision that the neighborhood makes right. or, or city or whatever. On a basic moralistic level, I don't think you'd find too many people that would disagree with that. The, the trouble is that when you get to a society as large as, say, the United States, and you have legislature and you have people voting or you have people electing others into office, the issue becomes education and knowledge. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things that we have legislature surrounding that the public is beyond clueless about. Right. Uh, But the the problem is, well, Mm -hmm. there's multiple problems, right? So one problem with education is that um, our education is designed for approximately 80% of the population to really not have a voice Mm -hmm. and to not think critically. 
right? So expand on that a little bit, sure. because it's not that I disagree, but I'd like to get into okay. the specifics. So for example, and this is um, a historical example. So after the 60s and the turmoil of the 60s, right, um, a lot of sort of the policymakers uh, try to make sense of what was happening to society. Mm-hmm. And one of the conclusions that they came up with, right, was that our, our society was overeducated, that too many people were becoming educated and there's not enough jobs for people who like are able to utilize that education. You need so, some drones. You need some drones to do like the mindless menial labor, right? So we have an educational system that to some extent, right? And, and of course there's great teachers and, and there's people who fight against this, right? Mm-hmm. But systematically um, isn't actually designed to really have 100% of the population like critical thinkers, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we don't have a society that has places for 100% of people to be critical thinkers. And if we did have that society, well, then likely it'll be like the 60s where there's going to be all these people, there's so much social discontent because what they're expecting, right? They're now expecting to like have a voice or to have a say in things, but yeah. there's just no room for them, right? I, honestly, though, I think you might be putting it a little too politely. I don't know necessarily that it's like, oh, society's going to be better if we have some drones. I think it's, oh no, all these people are doing acid and waking up <laughs> and we need to stop it. I And that may be a little conspiratorial, but... Right. I don't know. That's the way I see. I mean, I, yeah, I think the 60s was really a, a pivotal moment in American history where we had an opportunity f- to break free from, you know, what capitalism was going right. to become. And it just clenched its fists really tightly and held us down and did Absolutely. what it wanted to do. Because it, I think a lot and obviously we're going to probably get into this, but I, I think, you know, consumerism and the nuclear family mm-hmm. and this kind of a thing just being designed to maximize the profits of a society. I almost think that what happened is that people started breaking free from the influence of capitalism and consumerism. And the powers that be sort of thought, well, if we have everybody just wanting to smoke pot and live on a commune, then our economy is going to fall apart. And so in that sense, it's true. That may have been harmful, but it was also just, it's a very manipulative thing. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get people, you know, and that's where we are today. Let's get people wanting their iPhone and wanting their car and wanting their thing. And let's make sure there's only two to four people in a house so that every house gets a thing. And, you know, we don't have these large communities and we don't have that kind of mentality. Absolutely. So, so, so in response to that, mm-hmm. I would say that if we had a society where um, was at least more along the lines of what I'm talking about, where people really do have a say in the decisions that affect their lives, mm-hmm. right? In a degree that we don't actually have right now. Right. We would, as a society, be incentivized to give the best education to everybody, right? Yeah. Because now everybody is um gonna have like power right i mean everybody's gonna have yeah a fair amount of power in the decisions that are gonna affect them and and their communities and so on and so forth so i think at at the very least it gives us the right incentives Mm -hmm. right so that's the first that's the first point i would make the second point i would make is that and this this actually kind of goes along with a lot of the um uh these pillars that i talk about Mm -hmm. is that i'm not saying that there will ever be society where everyone has the perfect proportionality of say in all the decisions that affect their lives all i'm saying is that the closer we get to that the better Mm -hmm. the more fulfilled people will be the more they will feel valued right i'm not saying like it's ever going to be perfect or there's ever be a utopia Mm -hmm. but what i am saying is that 
we can certainly get a lot closer to it. Yeah, I think wealth inequality is probably the cornerstone of that. I mean, do you think this amounts to getting the right people into political office and transforming the way politics are done? Or Because I, obviously I agree with what you're saying. Then the problem, though, is there's 350 million or however many people. Right. How do they all have a say in, you know, a, in, in a law that affects every American citizen? Right. How do you gauge that? You know, we can't vote on policies the way we vote on the president. Right. But I mean, yeah, politics being it what being what it is these days. Yeah. An idealist, I think, would say and I'm not I mean, I I'm approaching an idealist mm-hmm. and I I do think it's possible to transform our political system. Would that be enough? I wonder if just, you know, over the next 50 years, the right people mm-hmm. exchange hands and it, it works out. I, I would venture to say that we would need to move more towards a participatory democracy. Mm-hmm. Right. So whether that means a little bit more engagement at the community level, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or it means, I mean, we certainly have the technologies, right? Um, yeah. There's no technological reason why we can't participate in even on, at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the capabilities to do that. Um, so the closer, in my opinion, right? And this is just going off of, my understanding of human nature and uh, humans gaining fulfillment and and feeling valued when their voices matter, based off of that, I would strive more towards a participatory democracy rather than a representative democracy, which mm-hmm. we have now. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not saying like it'll ever be perfect. But what I am saying, the more we can engage right, mm-hmm. people to actually have a say. In decisions, the more we get them involved and in, to grapple with those issues, mm-hmm. at, in the long run, the more fulfilled and, and more joy people will feel, the more value they will feel in their yeah. society. Yeah, and I think the the catalyst to that is transforming our educational system. I agree because if people but, are actually informed, then they'll you know are are aware of things and and can process these things properly, then they'll. You know, not just, you know, certainly science, but also civics and mm-hmm. these kinds of topics. Yeah. I mean, we just got to get the money allocated to do so. It, it's always baffled me. I mean, what you said earlier about, you know, empowering uh, people. To, uh, I, I think the thing is, it even even in the current model, as we currently have it, it still doesn't make sense to me that we devalue education. Because mm-hmm. don't you want incredible uh, business people and incredible entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to make these profitable corporations that but we do that, we know. do but the problem is is like you have to think of like you know like a from a billionaire's perspective mm-hmm. right like who or uh, just like an investor I right? have power and that's enough I have power right and I just need a small number of people to run things yeah. and I don't really care all that much about the rest of the people right, right? and that's sort of the attitude that you find um, and a lot of sort of the cor- corporate culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you and I value education, um, that's not necessarily what's always valued by uh, many of the people who have the levers of power, right? And have a big uh, disproportionate say in, in these types of decisions. The, the the psychology of such a person I find very fascinating because I, I'm not immune to the concept of wealth. And, and I hope 
for wealth for myself, but I cannot even envision a level of wealth that certain people like these experience, whereby as you accumulate more wealth, it does not even affect your quality of life. Mm -hmm. So I'm not even talking about like a Hollywood star, like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I got a big house and I take my trips and, and that. I get that. And I would never criticize that level of wealth. I'm talking about you're addicted to seeing that number on your screen in the bank Mm -hmm. account and it means nothing. And you're just absorbing all this wealth and taking it from people and right. taking away from people. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, it's really, it's really disgusting. Yeah. I mean, so one of the systematic issues that we have in our society, and this could probably be uh, extrapolated to most capitalist societies mm-hmm. is that reward um, callousness. Yeah. Right. So for example, uh, the highest, um, statistically the highest like proportion of like psychopaths is on wall street yeah. right it's not uh, a mistake it's not, not facetiously like, like truly no, like diagnosed tr- like truly yeah. truly and um and having some understanding of like psychology i mean not all people who are clinically diagnosed as you know being psychopathic mm-hmm. are like murderers or even bad people right? yeah um so some people have difficulty feeling empathy but actually they can model it and, and mm-hmm. learn to be like good people and, and mm-hmm. good people in society, right? But putting that aside, we have a system that punishes people for having empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the more you care about your coworkers, for example, or the more you care about your employees, mm-hmm. the more you care about the environment, and the more you incur like those costs, the more disadvantaged you will be to your competitor who doesn't give a shit about any of those right. things, right? Right. So we, it's Unless a systematic. Unless can be monetized. Right. <laughs> then we can, and some corporations are trying to do it, some some more genuinely than others, of course, right. yeah. Right. So when, when you kind of step back and look at a society, you kind of have to look at the overall incentives, mm-hmm. right? Incentives are huge, right? They, they, they're kind of what drive um, a lot of human behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to incentivize like people being heartless and callous and we're going to punish people for having empathy and for caring about right. others over many years, over a long period of time, well, you're going to you're going to have a high concentration of like literally the most heartless people and the most yeah. callous people at top. Right. Yeah. I think it's merely a restructuring of the economic system. I mean, it, it is it is capitalism. I mean, we all know that communism failed. That's not a secret. But I think that unfettered capitalism of the nature we have today is very close to achieving that spectacular level of failure mm-hmm. that communism did. I, d- I agree. Uh, I really think that it's it's like we're getting to the point where it's it's as though it has the potential to <laughs> destroy mankind. You know, this could be the force that brings us down. Well, it certainly almost. does. Yeah, it certainly does. I mean, so one point to say communism, right? And I think there's a lot of sort of different um, ideas of what that means, mm-hmm. right? I think it means different things to different people. Mm-hmm. But one of the most common um, sort of perceptions of communism is like replacing capitalist with like the state. Right. So then the state would now own. The state but, owns everything. That's the way exactly, I see it. Exactly. But yeah. But think about this. Think about the worst workplace in capitalist America. Mm-hmm. The worst. I mean, I don't know whether it's like Amazon or like sure Amazon or like whatever tender Walmart okay. maybe. Yeah. Okay. Now imagine the. All, the only thing we did was to replace the capitalist owner with state owners. But mm-hmm. we didn't change anything else. Mm-hmm. So there's still managers. Mm-hmm. There's still uh, workers with 
80% of the work and, and, and across all businesses, right? Approximately 80% of workers mm-hmm. have no say in anything, right? right? And are usually denied dignity and usually do not have equitable wages. Yeah. Right. Okay. So if we change nothing, right, but just replaced capitalist owners with state owners. You've got from communism. The, from the perspective of 80% of the people, it's like no different. No different. It's, no, yeah. it's not more fulfilling. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I, I don't know a lot about economics. And so I have a very oversimplified way of looking at things. But the way I see it is that communism is that the state owns commerce. And the way I see what capitalism has become since Reagan and, and more so lately, it's that commerce owns the state. Right. <laughs> and these are both very very bad things they're both very bad things and so and they're well, equally bad i think i yeah i 100 agree with that yeah right at least that that perception of right. communism you right? need balance you so, need regulation and you need free enterprise and they need to respect one another so i would i would argue that um so going off of like for example like our first um pillar or second pillar mm-hmm. um that people having a say so i would think that workplaces need to have to be more democratic mm-hmm. right um whether it's like a capital system right or it's like a communist system or whatever really it, it at the end of the day what matters more than who owns the means of production is who has control mm-hmm. right who has the power and who has the say over how those means are used right mm-hmm. so ultimately i would i would argue um that we need more workplace democracy um we need workplaces that actually value their workers and give them a voice mm-hmm. Let's round up some CEOs and tell them that. I'm yeah. sure they'll react It'll, very it's not gonna It's not going to be an easy uh, win, I can tell you that. Let's, uh, let's do number three. What's the next one here? Okay, so we talked about having consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the ability to, uh, to view in our mind's eye actions before we partake in those actions. Mm-hmm. We evolved alongside other human beings, right, who equally have that same consciousness right um which means that we recognize consciousness in others so let me give uh one example right okay let's say you're walking down the street and you're minding your own business not bothering anybody and a coconut falls off of a tree and hits you in the head Mm -hmm. you might yell you might curse uh you might think you're quite unlucky and you would be absolutely right Mm -hmm. okay now let's take that same scenario you're walking down the street minding your own business but this time somebody walking you know right opposite of you just sucker punches you in the face oh i thought you were going to say that the coconut hit someone else in the head and i was laughing (laughs) to myself the whole time you're doing that because i was sad that i do find that funny (laughs) okay sorry so someone punches me right so i think that humans intuitively feel a difference right Mm -hmm. like if somebody punches you in the face you're like what the hell did i do to you yeah. Right, because you recognize there's agency behind that. It, exactly, coconut did not intend to harm me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that although w- it should be smaller than a coconut, because I think if a coconut know, that, hits you in the head, that's you're definitely unconscious. That's true. possibly dead. <laughs> so let's say an apple. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but so, uh, okay. so there's certainly a difference in how humans would interpret those two scenarios. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I believe that um, sort of the innate and, and uh, human drive or craving for like equity and, or fairness mm-hmm. comes from that recognition, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of like, like what did I do? Like, mm-hmm. why did you just punch me? Like, I, I recognize you have that agency. Like, why would you do such a thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
that's where fairness comes from, mm-hmm. right? That's where justice comes from, right? So there's two components, and I think these are pretty non-controversial. I, I've never really had anybody disagree with them. Mm-hmm. So the first one is like, you know, given that understanding of and that recognition of consciousness and others, mm-hmm. right? We shouldn't be rewarded or punished for things we had no control over, right? So like, we shouldn't be punished for like the color of our skin or promoted because we have blue eyes. I mean, right. we, or sexual can, orientation or anything exactly. of these natures. Yeah. Exactly. So like, that's a pretty basic, uh, like logical understanding of fairness, yeah. right? We shouldn't to be punished for things to <laughs> yeah. us, right? Yeah. Right. And I think probably to most people who actually will like sit down and think about it. And who are not fundamentalist religious. Right. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the first component, right? Okay. So that we shouldn't be punished for things or rewarded for things we had no control over. Mm-hmm. Right? The second component is for things that we do have control over there should be an element of proportionality Mm -hmm. right and so in the sense of like um, we talked about how we engage socially with others right we engage in social relationships with others or it can even be like a personal relationship like a partner right Mm -hmm. a a romantic relationship if 99% of all like the hard work and the burden and, and the effort and the sacrifice of that relationship is done by one person and 99% of like the benefit of that relationship is going to another, well, the person who's like putting all like the grunt work is going to be like, hey, this is not fair. It's a real doormat of a person. Yeah. <laughs> I right. wouldn't stand for that. <laughs> right. But I think that's that's like an innate understanding. Right? Even if we can't verbalize it, mm-hmm. we still kind of have that sense. And even young children uh, can understand that, right? Yeah. Like un- even young children who don't really haven't taken a philosophy class or anything can understand that like, hey, that's like kind of messed up. That's not fair, mm-hmm. right? So that's the second component, right? And so that's, uh, then I would talk about like in our societies, right? We want societal institutions that respect some element of fairness, right? Mm -hmm. More fairness is better than less. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's all that controversial, right? right? So for example, we shouldn't have people treated differently for things they have no control over, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we should reward people for, effort and sacrifice Mm -hmm. right like for example if you and i start a business together and i put in like you know 90 percent of the effort and you put in like 10 percent, well there should be maybe perhaps some proportionality to that right Mm -hmm. or like duration of work or whatever Mm -hmm. right so um so yeah so that's the second component it would Mm be we want societal institutions that respect fairness yeah and then the tricky thing is when you get into like you know, uh, crime that is associated with poverty, you know, like a young black kid, uh, doesn't have like the parental figures and gets into a gang because uh, is afraid and, uh, you know, and then commits something too young to understand what happened and mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. And yeah, I think that society is definitely too harsh Absolutely. on that. But, but I, but I will say but, that, but that also, but that also violates like mm-hmm. punishing people for things that no control over. So like right. being born into poverty right mm-hmm. is unacceptable in my opinion right mm-hmm. so <laughs> so like yeah i i don't think that like we in a good society at least mm-hmm. right um we should do our best to alleviate like these poverty as a whole yeah as a whole right yeah i mean i i will say that if we zoom all the way out to a pre-society like a pre-society humanity on the whole society has done wonders in bringing justice in the sense that we all have our allocated space 
and I have essentially zero fear that someone is going to bust down my door and take all my my stuff. Right. You know what I mean? I have essentially zero fear that somebody's going to go, I don't like you and I'm going to murder you because I can and uh, that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, and, and that sounds ridiculous, but if you go back a couple thousand years ago, I mean, mm-hmm. it was uh, very barbaric and people are just seizing whatever they please. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the whole... I, I'd say we're on the we're very much on the right track, but uh, yeah, there are these aspects that need yeah, um, adjusting. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Like we don't live in feudalism. Yeah. Um, but I think we can still do better. We certainly can do better. Yeah. <laughs> I just like do to. Better. I sometimes like to try to zoom out just right. to sort of get a gain a, a shred of optimism and, and perspective, just right. because I, I think of like literally ten thousand years ago compared to now we're the same humans yeah we've evolved essentially zero in exactly. that time and you know there are definitely benefits <laughs> to living now so absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i mean so like one area and again coming more from like economics that um you know i i like to highlight mm-hmm. is um you know like nobody works you know ten hundred thousand times more you know, harder or longer than anybody else, right? right. So these massive disparities of wealth right. are not actually reflective of exactly. effort, sacrifice, like duration, like any of these things, right? right? A lot of actually the vast majority of wealth is inherited, yeah. which according to our like concept of, of fairness, um, like shouldn't probably exist. But the reason it exists in our society is because it's so unfair, right? So like parents, I mean, I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, understanding how unfair our society is, of course, I want to leave my children yeah. like the best sort of starting place that I can. Yeah. Right? And if you're acquiring wealth to take care of your kids, let's say somebody dies while their children are still young. The idea that that wealth that they'd accumulated would not go to continuing to provide for them is unthinkable. Right. But then you do have this situation where billionaires are anointing their exactly. offspring with unbelievable, unspeakable right. power. And they're also probably pricks because they grew up with billionaires. <laughs> exactly. Parents. And uh, yeah, it's a mess, you know. It's a mess. So there's definitely elements of an unfairness mm-hmm. in our economy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we can certainly move in better directions. Absolutely. What's the next one? What do we okay. got? So next for? is diversity. I think this is super non-controversial, right? Uh-huh. Uh, humans are... Uh, very diverse mm-hmm. um, and that could be anything from you know sexual preferences mm-hmm. uh, it could be cultural uh, it could be um, you know various like social identities mm-hmm. right um, subcultures and religions uh, ethnicities and of course different preferences mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so what's fulfilling for me is probably not most fulfilling for you right, right? so I think this is kind of obvious but it, it's important to state that um, if we want our societies to be more fulfilling, mm-hmm. right, then we should want societal institutions that uh, celebrate diversity, mm-hmm. right, so long as we're not violating any of our other norms, right? So, like, as long as I'm not infringing on your right, right. to have a say in the decisions that affect your life, yeah. right, I should be able to, like, be myself right if you want to celebrate some ridiculous thing from 2000 years ago and you wear this hat and you do dance around this thing you knock yourself out exactly you go and do it exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly i'm so, not coming but <laughs> I, you, you go for it exactly yeah. and exactly and so one of the things that you know like psychologists have found is that um when societies have these really strict boxes mm-hmm. that we have to contort our true selves to fit into Right. Sure. And we might think of like what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. Yeah. And we don't all neatly fit 
right into these mm-hmm. these like boxes right mm-hmm. um so when we do that we uh, in a way we're kind of reducing ourselves right yeah. we're not really fully realizing like who yeah. we are and again we we have to respect you know fairness we mm-hmm. have to respect uh, people's rights to have control over their own lives sure. right so i'm not i'm not saying like let people do whatever they want but to you know all mm-hmm. things equal more diversity is better yeah. than less and so but some of these boxes also are in are invalid you know what i mean Absolutely. i think that the way we assign gender roles which is, has certainly lessened over the past 15 20 years I, I would say but as they had been you know as they existed in say the 1950s it's certainly a, a falsehood and like ill prescribed i would mm-hmm. say not that uh, not that people cannot be masculine nor feminine they should express their masculinity or femininity in whatever way is natural to them exactly. but the way that men are this way women are this girl you know boys are this way girls are this way i mean i'm glad that that stuff is gone because this is just absolutely ridiculous exactly yeah and the irony is is like if it's biological then why would we even need to reinforce it yeah why would we wouldn't need it right so obviously it's not biological exactly you know what i mean totally total just complete (laughs) nonsense yeah but uh, so i think tolerance is maybe the 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 take home of that tolerance or celebration of Mm -hmm. diversity i don't know which i I would say i think we're doing pretty good with Maybe that's just because I live in a major metropolitan area mm-hmm. and there are there is a lot of diversity in any big city. Uh, and for the most part, I don't really know almost anybody. Or, no, I don't. I know, I know zero people that are intolerant. Of course, they exist. Of course. But um, yeah, I think that's one that I think we're doing OK with, <laughs> hopefully. For the most, America, you know, for the yeah. most part, you know, mm-hmm. but then we also do have things like institutional like racism. True. Sure. Yeah. You know, where like um you know, a black community might be policed disproportionately more. Yeah. You're more likely to be pulled over. You're more likely to have a longer sentence. Yeah. Uh, you're more likely to be judged more harshly. Yeah. Uh, for the... like equal, like for literally the equal crime. Yeah. Um, like an African African American will serve a far more disproportionate sentence. Sure. Right. So, so I'm not saying we're perfect, right? And mm-hmm. and and I think you would agree with that. But certainly, uh, moving in and more, you mm-hmm. know, fair and equitable. That's more of an inequity. That's more of an equity thing than a, than a diversity, probably. But yeah, fair obviously, enough. I could never. I mean, that's the one aspect of white privilege that is just freaking undeniable. I right. mean, when I get, I haven't been pulled over in a long time, but I used to get pulled over a lot. And every time I got pulled over, it was just ten to window down say sir a lot mm-hmm. and man i like would get off without a speeding t- i mean it was just it was it's preposterous like right. the, the the discrepancy in the way right. i was treated i mean yeah right. it's really astounding yeah, yeah. so i yeah. think that's pretty non-controversial so probably yeah. we could safe to move on to the sure. next one yeah what's okay. next so i would say uh safety and security mm-hmm. okay so most americans are one paycheck away or one medical emergency away from like financial ruin. Absolutely. Okay. As uh, as a species, um, and particularly a lot of social mammals, um, are very averse to that kind of anxiety. Um, it yeah. takes a toll on our uh, physical health mm-hmm. as well as our mental health. Mm-hmm. Right. So, having uh, social safety nets for. Uh, people in a society so that like literally one paycheck away from like falling off of a cliff is a feeling that feels horrible yeah and it's constantly like weighing us down uh, and it's a huge burden on our shoulders Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think again pretty non-controversially but like i would definitely argue that understanding how humans are affected by that level of anxiety um, 
having social safety nets is better yeah. than not. I think I think that policymakers know that they just don't care. I mean, every time I hear about a criticism of you know social security and food stamps and you know the the Republican talking points regarding universal health care and all this stuff, it's just it it really boils my blood because. Mm. You know, if you want to, I mean, they can't dress it that way, but if, if you want to deny these things because you're selfish and greedy, well, look, okay, that's a, a component of human nature, and I can't really argue with that, but don't dress it up in this way where you're manipulating people into, like, thinking that it is somehow, you know, oh, we can't have this because here's what, it's a, shut up. Like, this is absolutely, <laughs> it's very insulting yeah. the way you're yeah. manipulating this. And it's issue. always amazing how yeah. we can always find money for like anything that benefits like you well, know defense. like the one percent right or like defense, defense or military is a black hole it, of just like, we'll call it defense <laughs> and we can do whatever we want this yes. is with this money and then in yes. the meantime we don't have money for schools and exactly it's just, it exactly really... so like i mean we can't have two standards right mm-hmm. so um if we're questioning like where are we gonna get the funds to do this and by yeah. the way um coming from an economics background mm-hmm. um particularly like keynesian economics like a lot of uh, investment in like social uplift, like mm-hmm, things like mm-hmm. education, actually pay back multifold sure. in tax revenue, uh, in yeah, economic people surplus. Make money, they yeah. pay taxes. Exactly. So it's actually just an investment in our own society. Yeah. It, whereas like these other things, right? Like wars, right? You're not right. investing in like human growth. Like no. you're just. You're just basically, and for the most part, it's like geopolitical, right. it's for over oil, or it's over this thing or that yeah, thing. Yeah, the people right? who get the military contracts become billionaires, exactly. but the state goes bankrupt, but exactly. the state is now corporate controlled, so that's why I think we're going that direction. Exactly. We need another FDR or something, I, th- <laughs> I think, you know? Yeah, I it, definitely agree with that. Yeah, we need another... It can happen, we just... Uh, I, sometimes I worry that just like you know that that it's gone like post-world war ii era is just like this bullet train to dystopia that (laughs) i don't know we can i don't know i think people are kind of especially young people i mean i'm on twitter Mm -hmm. um and uh i think a lot of people are waking up you know to the realization that we can do better sure we don't have to live in a society that's so stressful um where we the vast majority like hate their work we yeah. don't have to live in a society where there's so much anxiety over well, financial that, like that devalues its citizenry exactly. i mean we are not i mean the society is supposed to the, the social constructs the government is supposed to serve its constituents exactly and it doesn't it exactly. serves its corporate overlords exactly so this is the disconnect that, right. and it's i don't know yeah it's like is it going to be slow incremental change Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a massive revolution, or are we just going to sink into di- into dystopia? Those are the three options. <laughs> I certainly hope it's not the third not one. Not <laughs> the third. Not the third. And I'm not really wild about the second one either. I agree. Because it's going to inconvenience multiple generations of humans. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. number one is I, the way we're going. I think we definitely need to make some yeah. major structural changes yeah. to at least move in you know the directions that we're talking about. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I'm always encouraged. I always try to remind myself that as more and more people die and as more and more people are born, it's fresh people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, those guys, barring barring any uh, major innovations in anti-aging technology <laughs> or immortality uh, technology, um, those people will die. Yeah. And they can't, they can't 
keep and and to some proportion their some of their kids may walk in their footsteps but some may you know you know fuck you dad you, yeah. you're a jerk i'm gonna <laughs> give all your money away <laughs> so, hopefully we get a lot of those kinds yeah, of yeah yeah and yeah. i don't know I, in at least the small bubble mm-hmm. um that i am in and like the twitter universe yeah uh, there's a lot to be hopeful of mm-hmm. um i certainly feel like a lot of these economic and political issues I think young people are talking about. And that gives me hope. Yeah. You know, I think Good. people are realizing um, that it doesn't every, have to be this horrible. I want every excuse to be optimistic. So that's good to hear. <laughs> okay. What's the next one? Okay. Next one. Uh, also probably not too controversial. Uh, creativity and innovation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally what could be more human than creativity? Like yeah. I don't, I really can't think of anything. Yeah else to, to more define humanity yeah right than the need to create and to innovate i think that's such like a human drive it drives so much of what we do right mm-hmm. and of course not everyone's creative though not everyone's creative I've met a lot of very uncreative people <laughs> fair enough fair enough but, but as uh, a species as a species without a doubt as yeah. a species yeah. right and i think like we can nurture creativity yeah. and of course that doesn't mean everybody's going to be like beethoven or whatever right right but uh but at least like okay here's an example mm-hmm. here's an example as a society right when we have things like sexism or racism or poverty right all those people affected right their creative potentials have been curtailed mm-hmm. right in a way in a yes. way right like oh, 100%. We, we will gear girls to certain i mean i have a daughter right and mm-hmm. I, even like a lot of her uh like teachers or pa- other parents like i'll hear it mm-hmm. like because she's a girl they're kind of like steer her in certain directions mm-hmm. right so that's a very social construct it's sure. not like she actually loves math you yeah. know but that's not really the direction that like society yeah. wants her to go and right? that's subtle take entire it's very subtle po- take, it's very subtle even worse take entire poverty poverty stricken communities what what potential have we squandered exactly i mean give me a break exactly so like how many you know physicists or uh beethoven's or picasso's or whatever have we like lost to sexism and racism and poverty it's totally antithetical to what democracy means to me you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's that we 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 lift everyone up so that we can all enjoy the fruits of everyone's uh labor and everyone's creativity and everyone's brilliance you know Mm -hmm. it's weird because i I feel two ways about it I, i think that obviously my creative output is enhanced by having access to uh, so many media and so sure. many people and other works from the past and everything is, you know, I have so many ways to consume and to be inspired and all these things, but I can't live the artist lifestyle that I did in college because I have to make money and I exactly. have a kid and I got to provide for my kid. And I got to do it and I have to, you know, and luckily I'm finding sort of my own way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to deal with the, you know, the corporate lifestyle and all this stuff. But I mean, I'm one guy, I got lucky. There's yeah. a lot of people. It's, it's very stifling and, yeah. and we can't, yeah i mean like you said that what percentage of people are right. so thoroughly miserable and unfulfilled in yeah, their jobs i yeah. mean it's, it's and, a and if you, and if you think about the dynamics of most workplaces where 80 percent of people uh, have no say whatsoever in decisions and mm-hmm. don't even know what decisions are being made mm-hmm. what about their creativity uh there may be some geniuses among them right sure. so so by giving workers a voice right when we talked about mm-hmm. earlier i believe we actually liberating uh a lot of creative potential, yeah. right? It's a major threat to upper management. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I, I'm, I haven't been involved in the corporate world. I've, obviously, I'm sure you know a lot more about it. I mean, I talked to my sister about it, and, you know, she's been fired from so many jobs 
just for being efficient and mm-hmm. effective and thorough and inquisitive mm-hmm. and d- and driven and mm-hmm. she just you know poor my she's i feel so bad for her because you know she lost two jobs very in, in rapid succession mm-hmm. basically because she was really good at it mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. i mean she was a threat she probably. was a threat and yeah. the people above her were, were just like well you know she we can't have, because also there was like corruption at these two places right. and like nobody wanted to be found out and mm-hmm. it's just like get rid of her right and it's just you know yeah i mean what, what are you gonna do you know uh a huge percentage of what management spends her time on mm-hmm. is uh is figuring out ways to make workers more dispensable yeah. and make themselves more indispensable mm-hmm. right uh, because wages are bought and sold on a market system and market systems uh, prices and market systems are reflective of the relative bargaining power between the buyer and the seller mm-hmm. right so the more bargaining power you have the more you can ask right? so point, you kind of yeah. get you kind of get what you can take in, in our economic system, right? Right. Um, and that's that's also not the best incentive, right? Because now when you have management in these positions, like in the example with your sister, their primary motivation, right, is to make themselves as indispensable to, like, mm-hmm. to the people above them while making people like your sister dispensable. Yeah. And if they're a, a real threat to right. their position, it's really just to protect themselves, they will protect yeah. themselves mm-hmm. rather than actually do what's best for the enterprise. Right. Right. So it's a definitely a contradiction there. Yeah. That's quite depressing. It is quite depressing. <laughs> what's that? Uh, what's... But, but, uh, I will make one probably controversial statement okay. about creativity. Um, I think patents and our patent system stifle creativity and innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, throughout history, knowledge has always built upon knowledge mm-hmm. right and the system that we have now where so much knowledge is controlled right uh through like the patent system and and even like patent hoarding yeah. right and the lawsuits and all of that nonsense i think that is one aspect we really need to look at mm-hmm. critically and figure out a way that we can actually build upon other people's innovations but at the same time, rewarding people who had yeah. worked hard for those inventions, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know very little about patent law, and I'm sure there are many ways that it is being abused uh, that should be dealt with. But I would say that innovation can't happen without some kind of patent system. Uh, otherwise, there's no uh, impetus to invest. If you're going to try to develop a drug and you're going to put $5 billion in to mm-hmm. develop a drug... Uh, and uh, and somebody you know it leaks and somebody beats you to the punch. Right. Just then, no one will take the risk any longer. So I I, I do think you know like a ten year you know the way the way pharma works you know you get you you get exclusive rights to that drug mm-hmm. for ten years and then the generics start coming out and if you want to keep charging out the butt then guess what this person over here is going to cut right. undercut you but uh, th- they need to recoup you know and yeah. pharma is a very particular example but you know I, I definitely see the relevance of patents but I'm sure as you say it's being you know, yeah, patent it's, hoarding and this exactly. kind of stuff I mean. Yeah, this is a problem. Uh, Yeah, and I think that like, um, so I, you know, like we talked about like fairness, I certainly think that people should be rewarded for like the sacrifices they make and Mm -hmm. and the hard work that they put into uh, patents. And that's why the patent system exists, right? Because Mm in a capitalist system, you can't, there is no mechanism to sort of reward people for their hard work 
unless you are able to like monopolize that technology mm-hmm. and then you know market it and sell it right so if if we figured out a way right to mm-hmm. reward people uh, for their hard work for their effort for their sacrifice in developing if you could monetize influence essentially monetize the effort right monetize the effort right in in coming up with inventions right because mm-hmm. that's that's a social benefit right so sure, yeah. so in economics right um what we talk about is uh social value right so anything that society values mm-hmm. right if we work towards those things right we should be f- uh, fairly like remunerated for those things mm-hmm. right so like if you just sit around rearranging the furniture in your apartment or your house well like nobody's gonna pay you for that because that's right. no, no there's no social value no social to that value, yeah. right mm-hmm. but like things like uh inventions or even like research and development those have a lot of social value mm-hmm. so the problem with our economic system is that we have no mechanism to reward people mm-hmm. unless we have patents. So I, I would argue, and, I would argue yeah. that if we can, right, if we could develop uh, an, a different way of, mo- of monetizing mm-hmm. work, right, mm-hmm. then patents would be completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know enough to counter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's wrap it up. How do we got one more, two more? We got two more, but okay. these are pretty quick. Okay. So we could go quickly. Um, so efficiency and environmental stewardship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's kind of tenuous to human mm-hmm. nature, right? Other than like as humans, we have consciousness and we could understand our the effects of our behavior on our, uh, on our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want to go extinct. <laughs> right. Um, and so... Uh, I have to throw that in there because we want societal institutions that value our precious time, right? We don't have infinite time mm-hmm. and to val- that values our precious resources because we don't have infinite resources. Mm-hmm. So as a sort of societal value, we have to uh, take efficiency into consideration. And of course, coming from like an economics background, I have to, you know, uh, say we want to accomplish all of these things that we've listed but in efficient ways, right? right? We don't want to just be wasteful and waste people's time, and we don't want to waste, waste resources. Money. Resources, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So pretty non-controversial, I think. Right. Yeah, <laughs> which is got to get rid of bureaucratic incompetency. Yeah. 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 So the last one, uh-huh. the last one uh, we talked about at the beginning. We talked about empathy, mm-hmm. um, and I like to close with this one: mm-hmm. uh, mammals, social mammals are highly empathetic, right? Mm-hmm. Empathy is and was the glue that held us together, right? Um, and the more socialized a species is, the more empathy that they display. Like mm-hmm. elephants, for example, are highly empathetic animals. Mm-hmm. Humans are very highly empathetic animals. Um, and that's because of our socialization. So empathy was like the glue that held us and made us look out for one another. Mm-hmm. right and we talked about it a little bit in my opinion we have a we have societal institutions that punish empathy mm-hmm. that really reward the worst qualities of humanity ruthlessness and, and greed exactly yeah. and punish the best qualities and i think that is something that is so fundamental that explains so much of what's wrong with the world mm-hmm. um that we really have to address that. So we have 
a zero-sum game system, right? In order to get ahead, you got to knock somebody down, right? I want a system that's not a zero-sum game. I want a system that for me to get ahead means you're getting ahead, mm -hmm. right? Or if you fall behind, I'm falling down. Our interests are intertwined with one another so that as a species, right, we can uh, utilize our empathy for one another, our compassion for one another, and uplift humanity together. That's the one that's hardest to kind of wrap your head around. It is. <laughs> These other stuff we're talking about, policy and, and, and uh, you know, economic systems. This one, I'm like, that sounds good, but what the <laughs> hell does that look like? Yeah, I have it, no idea. Solidarity. Yeah, right? that's a paradigm shift in, in not just an, an economic framework, but mm -hmm. in an entire consciousness. Absolutely. Really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a huge, um, it would be a huge systematic change, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that you'd get pushback from people who don't want to get dragged down by people. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you definitely have people that, I, I don't know. I mean, this is one where I mostly agree, but but sort like I don't want to sound like Ayn Rand or something. <laughs> but like, you know, there is that aspect of, you know, I, I consider myself to be highly ambitious and highly driven more mm -hmm. so than other people. I mean, listen, I feel like I'm regurgitating some really... Conservative talking yeah, but we, points but here. But see, we've already but, established like you should be rewarded for your hard exactly. work and effort and sacrifice. Yeah. Like nobody's mm -hmm. arguing you shouldn't be, right? Right. Yeah. But, but I, but I want to elevate. See, this is very interesting to me because I, I'm not. I, I lack empathy. I've been criticized as such, and I, and I admit that it's true. Mm -hmm. But I have a lot of sympathy, mm -hmm. and I am rooting for mankind. I want the best for mankind. I want the best for society. I want the best for my community. I want to help people learn. I want to teach people science. I want, to, I want for people, mm -hmm. uh, and I want for myself, but not to the degree I know that I am not like these people. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not sociopathic. I know that I will never hoard wealth mm -hmm. in ridiculous ways. I want like a nice house and stuff, but mm -hmm. I don't want what these people want. I want for humanity. Okay. Even though I do not have empathy uh, or, or not much of it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I think I have a deficit in that area. But so I don't know how that correlates with what we were saying, but it, it's, it's strange for me to like identify with one part and not the other. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah. and we talked about people and already that lack empathy. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I think we have to make a decision. Right. And, uh, we ha we have to determine what sort what type of uh, incentives do we want in our society? Mm -hmm. Do we want incentives where you move ahead by like destroying the lives of other people? Mm -hmm. Do we move ahead only by like crushing others, or, or can we have a can we have a society that rewards people for you know like you said you work hard you should you should be rewarded fairly for your efforts right? Yeah. Um, so can we have a society that rewards people fairly, that gives people a fair say in the decisions that affect them, right? And the only way to move up is not by kicking people down. Right. I think it's possible. I think it's possible, um, but it takes a major expansion of our collective imagination because like you said, it's hard to imagine what that would look like, right? right? But I don't think it's impossible. And I think that's the direction we should at least try to go. We need some very inspiring and polarizing figures. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like it. I, you know, there, there is a, there's, I mean, I think that most of what we have just discussed is quite concrete and, and, and as you said, not controversial. And then I think at the end here, it's a, a, a little bit more mystical, but we're, mm -hmm. we're, it's something that we can describe and is tangible. Uh, it's just, 
it's amorphous. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that will go, <laughs> but give it 50 years. Who knows? Who Maybe knows? we'll Ho- see it. Hopefully in our lifetimes. Yeah. I don't know. We can hope. <laughs> yeah, I just want it to be better. Better. As long as it's a little better all we, the time. We, we kind of talked about that too. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm not saying we're going to have a utopia, right? I'm right. just saying the more we go in these directions that are more consistent with mm-hmm. what I believe is human nature, mm-hmm. uh, the better, right? And the further away we go from it, the worse. I mean, the mm-hmm. more miserable people will be, the more oppressed people, people will feel and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not saying we're going to have a perfect ever have a perfect society right but i just want to know nor get, could we yeah and i just want to go in that direction yes that's the direction we want to go i'm good with that <laughs> yeah well now i have to go furiously contribute to society in my <laughs> office for the next 10 hours <laughs> cool well i like it uh so wait, what was the what was the name of the book potentially again uh the working title i have right now right. is human realized Human realized. I like that. Now coming full circle on with the conversation, I do mm-hmm. think that that's yeah. It's it's each individual and in addition, the human race. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, yeah. I mean it, it's I, I I do get invigorated by this kind of talk. You know I do think that we have yet to uh, be our best selves. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I'm excited for it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks so much for coming by. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me.